stay on the subject of water, Tom, um, I'm going to turn the, uh, the, the floor over to Ingeborg. You can hear me? Yes. Yes. yes uh, uh, first of all, I, I, today I saw your interview with Laura, Laura Houston on dreams. And it was really uh, useful for me because you said uh, that every sort of dream you have, it may be lucid or not, or just a dream or just a little einnicken or so, uh, everything, every sort of, um, uh, you know, event in the dream is reality. So this, you know, is, is very relaxing, <laughs> I think, because, you know, lots of people uh, are very, tough and say I have to be lucid and when I'm in a, in a dream I have to control my lucidity and so on and I think uh, this is a, a great danger to get stuck uh, and so uh, when you said it is a reality whatever it is it's I think it's it's um, you know uh, yeah, our dreams are our dreams are uh, an opportunity for us to experience and to make choices Mm, yes. Mm. So that's no different than this life we're living right here in this virtual reality. Mm. We're here making choices, and that's what we do in our dreams. That's what we do in out of body. All the realities we get in, we make choices. And as we do that, it helps us grow up by the quality of the choices we make. So there's not like the real reality and the not so real realities, and you know, the ones that are important, the ones that are not. We make choices in all these realities. And we can grow up or, you know, evolve or de-evolve based on those choices. So they're all just a different reality system. And we should try to make good choices in all of those reality systems. And whether you're lucid or not isn't the point. And, yes, you can get, you can get wrapped up around the phenomena, such as out-of-body or, you know, lucid dreaming or, you know, healing with your mind or looking at the future databases. And you can get all wrapped up around these phenomena but mostly that's just a distraction and it doesn't really help you grow up much to, to do that. But yes, we should all we pay attention to whatever choices we get to make in any reality frame. They're all equally real. This one isn't the real one. And the dreaming one is kind of the fake one that we create. It's not like that. They're all different reality frames and each one of them is an opportunity to grow up. Uh, it's on. It's on a sort of of my diet, like the question of Tim. So uh, and um, I for I think let's two or three years now. I drink a certain water because you know it tastes very very fine. It tastes sweet. I like I like it very much. But you know on Friday or on Thursday I thought you know it's so expensive to buy all this water. And uh, I will go, uh, I will uh, finish, stop drink that water and just use the, the tap water. And so I made this decision and in the night, of course, I had a dream. <laughs> and there uh, I saw um, uh, that the, it is important what uh, sort of water you drink <laughs> because uh, uh, the water... Uh, enables you to to um, let's say transcend layers of your being. Sort of, I saw sort of, sort of an onion thing, huh? and uh, mm -hmm. so I I I, I thought of, of, uh, maybe it's important which water you drink. 
And then by chance, I found a video of Nassim Haramein. And he says there was a recent, uh, a recent uh, um, uh, discovery in biology and where they found that the DNS in, is packed in 10 layers of water molecules and these 10 layers enable DNS, DNS to function. So, and I, of course, I, 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 I thought a little bit of synchronicity and this is why I asked this question to you. What do you think? What do you think about the function of water in PMR and in the larger consciousness system? And uh, how can we use water for multidimensional purposes? It's probably not the water. It probably has to do with the intention and the attitude and the feeling you have about the water. It's probably more important than the water itself, okay? This is a virtual body. This is not, you know, this, this physical body is not really the real thing. It's a calculated body. Now, there is a rule set, and it's calculated according to the rule set. So it's possible that this rule set, biology and chemistry, I guess, too, if we're talking about uh, uh, a molecule like water, it's possible that that rule set has some uh, special reaction to some special form of water. But it's not real likely because the rule set is a very high-level, fundamental kind of rule set. And this physical virtual reality that we call our physical reality, it just evolved according to the rule set these general ideas. You know, the rule set isn't a, a billion little facts. The rule set is a few, maybe a, a dozen, you know, basic principles. And according to those principles, then this evolution takes place. And the evolution has to do with what works and what doesn't. And the what our body does with water has to do with how our body evolved into the body it is, right? We started with one cell things, and then we go up, you know, our ancestors used to be jellyfish, you know, and then they went up to fish, and, you know, then they got out and walked around on land, and it just kept going till you end up here with us. So where did this, how our biology, the rule set that, uh, you know, that uh, has ex explanation for our biology, what does that do with water? Well, it does with water, whatever it, evolved to do with water over all those years of dealing with water. So that's, you know, that's kind of where our biology and water come together. It's, it's part of uh, a response to a rule set in a simulation in our evolution. So unless there was lots of this special water around at that time, as opposed to regular everyday water, then we wouldn't have adapted our biology to, you know, have a special reaction for this special water. Now, maybe special water is just clean water, you know, just pure H2O without all the, you know, the chlorine and all the other things in it. Well, now that's a little different thing. It's not just the water then. It's a matter of getting rid of impurities or getting rid of too much acid or getting rid of too much base that uh, tap water may not be exactly the same as natural water and our body obviously evolved 
for a few million years before there was such a thing as tap water, you know, before anybody put chlorine into water, you know, we've had millions of years of evolution where the water was just natural water. But water is different everywhere you go because it has different assortment of minerals in it, different assortment of um, bacteria live in it, uh, all sorts of things, you know. So you go from well to well and the water is a little different everywhere. So I would think that the way we evolve was to deal well with all sorts of kinds of natural water. And uh, if you're drinking a good quality water, that's probably good enough as far as your body goes and your evolution goes. If it's just a good quality of natural water, that's fine. Now, what about the, the, the effects that you can have that are spiritual effects? Well, I think that mostly has to do with your intent. If you have a water, a special water or a special feather or a special, you know, mineral or crystal or anything else that's special to you, and for you that helps you focus your intent on better health, better meditation sessions, uh, you know, better uh, connection with, with the larger system, then because you have that intent, that object becomes a tool. The water can be a tool. The feather can be a tool. The crystal can be a tool. And it'll actually help you do those things because it's just, a, you know, it's just another tool that helps us focus our intent. Oh, because of this crystal or because of this special water, you know, I'm going to have a deeper connection. My meditation will connect. I'll, uh, you know, I'll get out of body easier because I burn incense or have candles lit in my room or play a certain kind of music. And as we, we have our intent wrapped around these objects or symbols or metaphors, they actually do help. You know, that's the placebo effect. The placebo effect should not be thought of as, a, as some kind of a fake effect or some kind of a thing that isn't real. It's very real. And we humans need uh, tools to work with. It's just the way we are. It's so much easier for us to have a tool to help us focus our intent than it is for us just to focus that intent without the tool. So tools are very useful, but tools are just tools. They only work because of the way we feel about them, because of what we imbue them with. So in that case, yes, this water could make you healthier and could enrich your spiritual life. But it's not really because of the water as it is because of the way you feel about the water, your intent with the water. Now, that the water is clean and pure water, yes, okay, then that, you know, or if the water's polluted or has chemicals in it or all sorts of other things that, uh, that get put in our water on purpose and by accident, then that probably is not too healthy because we didn't evolve for the last two million years to be drinking chlorine water. And our body may not be as successful dealing with that. You know, what do we do with all of those chlorine, you know, ions that uh, our body never evolved to have to deal with, you know, in the water? So that may or may not become a problem for us. So as long as it's just good, clean, fresh water, then my guess is your body will deal with it the way it evolved to deal with it. And that will be fine as far as your health goes. But anything that is special to you can be a tool to help you grow spiritually, to help you focus your intent, uh, to do all sorts of things. 
And that's a good thing. And it always pains me a little to explain that because when I explain that, I take the magic away from the tool, you see. And if you take the magic away from the tool, then the tool doesn't work so well anymore. So I really don't like explaining to people that it's probably a placebo effect and it's their intent and their feeling about the water is what makes the water actually work that way. Because now they go, oh, well, if that's all, and now suddenly it stops working, you see. Now I've just done you a disservice by, uh, you know, taking the magic away. It's, But it doesn't have to be that way. If you just think of it, yes, it's a tool, but tools are good, and I need tools. And if the tool works for me, I should use it. That's the that's the uh, a better attitude rather than oh no it's just the placebo effect well the placebo effect is shouldn't be an oh no it's that's a real effect and it's very helpful for us to use these tools to help us focus. I'm sure you didn't destroy anything. <laughs> the, the Good. Water, the water will work for me. <laughs> Good. Good. Yeah. It's, instead of uh, you don't have to to. Uh, it's not a matter of believing in it. It's not the belief. It's not like Dorothy who had to click her, you know, her red heels together and believe that she was going back to Kansas. Belief isn't the point. It's the intention. It's the clarity and the strength of that intention is the point, not, not belief. So it, it, it shouldn't bother you to see, you know, to, to realize that it's a placebo because placebo is important. That's real stuff. That's real medicine. It focuses your intent, and a focused intent is as real as it gets. It does change reality. And if you feel that when you drink this water, you feel better, you're healthier, you're more energetic, your body feels better, your meditation is better, well, then use it. That's a great tool for you. Thank you. Thank you. That was great. Tom, the next question is from Brownie, and I think we're going to be touching on primal male, primal female territory here. The question is, how can we apply MBT theory to dating, love, sex, and even fetishes? For example, are women attracted to ego? What about jealousy or sex fetishes, whether mild or extreme? And why do we have fantasies? Finally, the final part of the question is, how can we deal with becoming separated from a special love connection, such as a lifelong female partner? Although they asked a question about female, I guess the question would apply to either male or female. Well, MBT doesn't really talk directly about those things. That's why I started writing primal male, primal female, because it's another different set of questions that focus on gender and uh, not so much on the nature of reality. Um, it's more of the nature of gender. So it doesn't really say too much about those, but what I can say is that most of the problems we have in relationship, and that's all kinds of relationship, not just sexual relationship or not just male-female relationship, but all relationship. The problems we have there are typically the problems that we create because of our fear and because of our, our ego and our beliefs. They're, they're problems that we produce that don't have to be there if we could be different. So 
you know the the loss of a the loss of a loved one whether that means that your spouse you know uh leaves you or whether that means your spouse dies or whatever uh however that loss comes about if you have gotten rid of your fear and your ego and your beliefs then you can deal with those things more easily there's not a lot of of uh of pain and anguish you know it's it's something that the, is much easier for you to deal with and it's the same in your relationship if you if you go to your relationship in terms of what can i give in this relationship that's love love is about giving if in your relationship it's well i'm giving about as much as i want to you know and i'm not getting all that i want well that's not love that's something else love is always about other and it's not what you get that matters it's what you can give that matters you don't go into it with with uh, well what am i going to get out of this is this going to satisfy my needs you go into it because you care and you want to give to that situation or that person whatever and if you have these these uh high quality of consciousness attitudes then your relationships will be much better and uh, that kind of solves a whole bunch of problems so that's really what mbt says about um these questions it says your life whatever your issues are in relationship you know whatever the source of your pain is all of that will be a whole lot better if not gone completely if you could just get rid of your fear it's your fear that's creating that pain though we tend to blame it on others so and so hurts me so and so makes me angry so and so's made me sad um you choose to be angry or hurt or sad it's your choice and you make those choices because the fear pushes you to those choices and if you can let go of that fear you'll find that uh even though life may still be difficult without your fear you still may have hard things that happen to you but those hard things won't be so hard anymore you'll just kind of glide by them and with them and the pain isn't there anymore so it doesn't mean that suddenly you know everybody walks up to you and wants to hand you a 100 dollar bill and and uh you know pat you on the back life could still be difficult but you deal and accept and can can um can still have a very positive outlook even though things can be hard things just you know what normal people describe as hard just aren't hard anymore i guess is another way to is another way to put it so that's the that's kind of the answer to all the issues that he's talking about from mbt now the the primal female primal male gets down into more of gender relationships and ideas and tries to peel away cultural overlays and that sort of thing uh it's not so much designed as a problem solver as it is to understand just who you are you know as a as an individual with gender just what does that mean and who you are and what are your instincts and your hardwiring and how does that inter interact uh, with your culture and that's another whole uh another whole uh, subject but uh what mbt says about this is just get rid of that fear and these relationship issues and problems of dealing with with love and and spouse and sexuality and all those things get instantly better
Right. Um, thanks. I think um, that's it. I, I don't think anyone can uh, believe that you're actually writing this 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 other book, Tom. You know, it's uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a long time coming, and I know you started off, and it wasn't going to be that big, like my big toe. And the more you realise, mm. it, the more you've got to to write. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I haven't done a whole lot of writing. It's mostly I'm writing it in my head. But yeah, I'm still uh, collecting information and still adding things to it. And probably my vision for it now is two or three times bigger than it was when I started. But I really started on this as a concept of something that needed to be done. Just because gender is such an important part of our existence and our relationships, and it is so terribly misunderstood, and I thought it would be helpful to people to have a kind of a different view of it. You know, what are our instincts? What are the cultural overlays? And I really started thinking about this and putting it together probably, oh, I don't know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago. So it's been incubating for a long time, but it keeps growing and it gets better as time goes on. And someday, eventually, when I don't have to answer, you know, 300 emails every day, I will actually sit down and put it the on paper and and write it so it's it's still in there incubating okay i won't i won't be asking you for a, a publishing date then um but <laughs> no people are asking about the physics experiments tom how are they coming along well you know they are uh, they're incubating as well i would have told you uh, even just a week ago that they were all done and they have been done for like uh, about four months and uh, now i've uh, just changed them a bit added uh, a couple of new ones and i'm so they're still you know as i get new ideas and things i'm kind of adding to them so they're they uh though you know a few well i could even say a week ago a week ago they were done they're not quite as done now because i'm i'm uh, enlarging them a little and and making them them different but they're better you see they also get better so i've i've included a couple of new ideas to test with the experiments and then that'll take me time to incorporate those in but it's still coming along it's not going to be a long time off we're going to get those things done you know before long now i'm going to i have a an event coming up in uh the end of this month last weekend in in uh, october in around the los angeles california area and i expect that i'm going to give a presentation of many of those physics experiments there. Now, it won't be the whole thing with all the details in it, but it'll kind of be an overview of the experiments at that point. And we'll get all the details out and get that published soon afterwards. So I'm using this uh, date of the end of October, which is now what uh, you know, a little less than four weeks away, to force myself to uh, get some <laughs> closer and to converge on, uh, on something. And uh, so I, I'm going to present them there. So if you're interested in seeing them firsthand, well, get on out to L.A. Uh, end of this month, and uh, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about uh, physics probably most of the first day, and then we're going to talk about how MBT applies to your life and your problems and your issues. You know, for the second day, those are the two big kind of areas that uh, people are interested in in MBT. So we'll get we're getting there. We're going to get some of it published uh, in that in that talk at the end of the month. Though, like I say, it won't be all the detail, but it'll be a lot of it enough to see what what the what the experiments are, 
basically, and uh, what they're supposed to, to do. Well, hopefully, Tom, this will be up and available on YouTube uh, before that. So Justin's got his work cut out to make sure that this gets yeah. out before. So if you're watching this afterwards, we're really sorry you missed it. <laughs> Pay attention. Pay attention. Always visit the Future Events page of MBT Events to see what is coming up next. You never yeah. know what you might miss. The worst thing for us is when someone says a week after we've been somewhere, they email us and go, oh, is Tom coming to... <laughs> so it's it's frustrating we do our best we really do um moving on tom i got a question that we didn't get to ask uh, last month so apologies to tim uh, tim c asks do low entropy and intelligence go hand in hand for example will a very low entropy being be really good at math and does intelligence go with us from lifetime to lifetime for example einstein being a math with a math whiz in his next life i'm sorry uh, it's that math and maths English people have an S of maths. It's mathematics, so it's maths. So Einstein being a math whiz in his next life. That was a mouthful for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, well, proclivities probably go with you. Uh, individual capabilities may or may not. See, that depends partly on how the, you know, how the luck of the draw comes in your next for your next avatar. Uh, if you uh, get matched up to an avatar and when uh, that avatar then develops, it may not be exactly what you had in mind. There's a lot of randomness going on there. Uh, if you wait a little later till the avatar is already set, then you'd have a little better probability of picking one that matches the kind of things you'd like to do, you see. So in that way, it can it can move on some. But you have to realize that, uh, that intelligence has a has a biology base to it as well. Again, setting constraints the, and uh, the constraints of the rule set, and that biology base has a lot of randomness in it. Exactly how that uh, avatar, the constraints that that avatar is going to uh, offer a individuated unit of consciousness have a lot of randomness in it when that uh, egg and that sperm meet up and uh, start exchanging, uh, you know, their, uh, their DNA. So it depends. If you wait and pick after that, then you can maybe pick something because that's what you want to do and you, you sort of have a proclivity, then it's the, it's the IUOC that kind of negotiates your next incarnation. It's the free will awareness unit that just kind of deals with whatever it has to deal with. So the IUOC is at a part to decide whether it needs these kind of traits or those kinds of traits and could maybe pick something like that, but not necessarily so. If you do the same thing all the time, it limits your growth. You're better off actually to embrace diversity and do a lot of different things because all of them will challenge your choices. And different kinds of choices will help you grow up in different ways. So just it's, it's not that intelligence is, is like uh, in genetics. You know, the rule set supports genetics giving you, you know, long fingers or, uh, you know, a very bright mind or other sorts of things. It helps if both of your parents were very intelligent, then the probability of you being very intelligent is a lot higher than if your parents were both very unintelligent. So that's the, that's the rule set uh, part of it. Doesn't necessarily come in with the consciousness. Consciousness can just kind of pick and choose after the fact. 
to some extent to get a situation at once. But mostly it doesn't do that because, like I say, diversity is a better teacher than continually doing the same thing or similar things. Now, the first question is, does being uh, more evolved actually make you more intelligent? Well, not necessarily. It depends on how you define intelligence. You know, now we define intelligence in ways of how, by how well do we do on an IQ test? Well, exactly what an IQ test measures is a little hard to, uh, to say precisely. Different IQ tests measure different sorts of things. So there's no real good and accurate measurement of intelligence. Uh, that's, that's one of the problems we'll, we'll have with answering this question. But what growing up does, what a quality of consciousness does for you is you come in with a proclivity to grow up more quickly, to evolve more quickly, because you've been there and done that. So what you bring to it as a consciousness, what you bring to that avatar as a consciousness is your quality. If you come in with a higher quality, then you will grow up. You'll learn your lessons very quickly. Kindness and caring will be natural to you. It's just the way you'll feel about people and critters and everything. And it will be a, an easier time for you to grow up until you get to the point where you're about the same place you were in your last lifetime. And after that, it's all new ground. And then you have to kind of go beyond yourself to continue making better choices. So what happens with a higher quality is that you get a greater decision space. Okay, now, decision space is an awareness of choices. It's all the choices we're aware of. As your quality goes up, the size of your decision space goes up because you're aware of a lot more things. So you see a lot more in things. The, the data that, you know, every if 10 people get the same data, the person who has the highest quality will get a lot more information out of that same amount of data because they have a, they, they have a bigger picture. So you get a bigger picture, you get a larger decision space, and if we say that, that has, that's one of the markers of intelligence, a bigger picture and a larger decision space, then I'd say, yes, you get more intelligent as you grow up. But other people would argue of what intelligence is. And uh, so we'll just say that. It does make you seem more intelligent because you have a bigger picture and a better understanding of the nature of things. It makes you more intuitive. You get uh, information that uh, other people don't necessarily get. So, yeah, it probably makes you seem a lot more intelligent. Whether you really are intelligent or not depends on how intelligence is defined, I suspect. But it, uh, you certainly uh, have a bigger picture the more you grow up, a bigger understanding and a higher capacity to give, more empathy. So maybe that's part of emotional intelligence, and that would certainly get better too. But now I only seem to be more intelligent. Now it's me thinking I was getting smarter. 
<laughs> I, only, I only seem to be more intelligent because I'm, I, have a, I at least now have a bigger picture. Well, that's something. That's good. Okay. <laughs> um, Tom, next we have two related questions on the death of the larger consciousness system. Uh, Zach asks, do you think the LCS has a fundamental fear of dying, of devolving to the point where it would cease to exist? Uh, certainly an inherent survival instinct to evolve or S would be a great motivator. And Channel 79 asks, is there any conceivable possibility that we can imagine of the LCS dying or of being destructed somehow? Or is it basically one game from the survival standpoint? Uh, they can imagine a cancer-like group of negative beings wanting to tear the whole thing down to their level and somehow gaining momentum and spreading exponentially? Or would they simply be spotted instantly and dealt with? So on that note, can anything actually hide from the LCS? Um, no, not in its, not in its space and not indefinitely. Um, well, you know, that's probably not, that's probably mostly true. I don't know that that's always exactly true. Um, you know, it depends on what hide means. Um, if it means that it's impossible for you to be uh, ever detected, no. Everything is possible to be detected. Whether or not anybody actually, you know, looks and tries to detect, well, that's another that's another issue. So in that sense, it's probably as possible to hide. But I would say don't worry about the health of the larger consciousness system. That has uh, got to be the very bottom of the list of things to worry about it's uh not uh, like that it's not evolving because it's afraid of death it's evolving because that's an intelligent thing to do that's a smart thing to do it it is and it wants to continue and it's not that it's running from a from a fear as it is that it's a practical thing it's got this system and this system's going and it's working and it's evolving uh, uh, beings are growing to becoming love. People are learning. It's a working, viable system. And there's no advantage for it ending, that it would just end itself like it's bored now or tired and doesn't feel like doing this anymore. You know, that's all doesn't make any logical sense. So, no, the system isn't going to end and I would say it's not really endable. Something from outside isn't going to come and, and uh, you know, invade it and end it. That is very, very unlikely. Um, you know, what is outside of it, we don't know. So does it live in a dangerous place? I doubt it. It's been around for a long, long, long time, so... I'd say it's not something to worry about, that no, the system is healthy, it's good, it's going to continue chugging on and evolving because that's what it does. And it doesn't do that out of fear, it does that out of love, out of caring, because it wants to. All right, thanks, Tom. Um... Next, I'm going to ask, uh, well, I've got three questions from Farad, who's uh, here in the room with us today, but I'm going to ask the questions for him. The first one, Hello. Uh, in a 2012 interview, uh, Our Reality is Information, you talk about the double slit experiment and the tree in the woods. Our old friend, the tree in the woods again. Uh, perceived by a man who gets eaten by a bear. Poor man. Um, which... <laughs> 
Which entities are actually receiving data here, Tom? What about the bear who is eating the man? If it's seen the tree, does it receive the data and save it within the larger consciousness system? But what about an ant that is running up and down the tree? Does it likewise take in that data and transfer it to the LCS? So which creatures have a consciousness and are able to feed the LCS? Which of those creatures actually mentioned are IUOC? Okay, uh, everything that's conscious okay, is, is basically uh, functioning the same way. I just didn't mention any squirrels in the trees or, you know, that sort of thing or ants on the bark because that just complicated the problem. And I was trying to keep the problem simple enough that people could kind of get the, the, the basic points that I was trying to uh, get to. But I do have a fair number of people saying, well, what about the squirrels in the trees and, you know, the, even the bugs in the ground near the tree or whatever? And yes, all of those, if they are conscious, and I think many bugs are probably conscious, and certainly squirrels are and bears are, everything conscious works in the same way that people do. People don't have a unique form of consciousness. All forms of consciousness are basically similar. They just have different capacities, different levels of awareness, and that's true of, let's say, the squirrels too. So maybe there's squirrels that live in that tree, or maybe there's squirrels that just live next door to that tree. They have the same, uh, the same, they do the same thing as the humans. Okay, they get data. It's a virtual squirrel and a virtual ant. They get a data stream. And that data stream tells them what their reality is like, what their, what their senses see so they have different senses than we do so they get a different data stream than we do that's appropriate for their own sense sensory apparatus and that data once it comes into this reality stays in this reality okay so they would see a tree and there's the tree and they're living there then when that tree blows over even though there's never there's not any people around for that bug or that squirrel, they experience the whole thing. The data stream that's sent to them will experience the tree falling over, the wind blowing, the storm that knocked it over. They'll they'll be aware of all of that. Okay, for the human being, you know, he'll get there, and because these bugs and squirrels have already had that experience, then he'll get the data that is consistent with that experience. You see? So, yes, the squirrels are part of the reality. So if there are squirrels and things in that woods, then the man doesn't come back and it's back to a random draw of what's in the woods because you've got other intelligences, other consciousness in the woods that are creating a continuity in that woods. So that was just for my example of the guy walking into the woods in a woods where there was no other living things and he's the only person. Then they would recompute and would pull out another random draw from the possibilities. But I was just to, to, to uh, uh, emphasize a particular issue. It wasn't too realistic. The, uh, when the guy comes back, because the squirrels experienced that tree being blown over, when the man comes back in, he has to see the tree blowing over because that has to be consistent with all the consciousness there. But now remember, a bug's view and what a bug gets as far as a data stream is entirely different than what a human gets. So they just have to match up in so much as what each other gets. So that bug may get all kinds of details 
Let's say that ant may get all kinds of details about the bark of that tree. The human doesn't necessarily get any of those details in their data stream unless they go get a magnifying glass and hold it up and look at the bark. Now they'll get more detail in their data stream. So the the data streams are, are different. It's not that the man has to get the same data that the ant gets. He doesn't. He gets man-appropriate data. But the overall picture has to be consistent for all players, all consciousnesses. So, yes, the critters do matter about what happens in the woods. All right. Thanks, Tom. Um, Fard's next question, which is, is somewhat related, is actually a really interesting one. Um, you know, we are consciousness evolving towards love, and love does lower entropy. So is it caring and sympathetic if human IUOCs would kill an, an animal IUOC to, you know, kill the animal to be eaten, for example? I know we've talked about that before. Um, the Baxter effect, this is a test run by Cleve Baxter, who connected a house plant to a lie detector and then resolved to set the plant on fire with a match. The plant's reaction, which was shown by the lie detector, was the same as a human being in fear. Uh, so the Baxter effect actually proved that within the source field, all entities are connected to each other because a plant is actually showing fear when a human being wants to hurt it. Therefore, to which degree are we working towards entropy and against love if and when we are eating plants, which are actually entities with feelings of their own? Okay. Um, yeah, I'm familiar with that experiment. Then uh, Clive Baxter even went further to uh, take a bunch of brine shrimp, which are tiny little, not microscopic, but very, very small uh, shrimp. And he, would he took these brine shrimp, as I recall, and poured them into boiling water, which killed them. And when that happened, he got a strong reaction from the plant as well. So this, this is a book. Uh, Secret Life of Plants or something like that that was probably published in the 1960s. Um, I read it a long, long time ago. There'd be a couple of issues there, and I don't know about research that's been done since that time. One issue is the we'd have to you'd have to do some research to isolate that the reaction of the plant really was just the reaction of the plant and not also the reaction of the human. So when we have an intent and we think about something happening, we can often, you know, it's like the ice cubes, you know, where uh, uh, Dr. Uh, mm, no, Emoto. Emoto, yeah, freezes the ice cubes. It's not that the water chooses to make pretty crystals or bad crystals. It's that the intent of the people is that they think the music is pretty or ugly and it's it's the people who are affecting how that water um, freezes their intent can change that because there's so much uncertainty about how water freezes so it doesn't take even a whole lot of intent to to make that different so we have to I, we'd have to do some experiments that had to do with random things happening at random times that people had no idea about um it's a very hard thing to do because somebody has to set up the experiment and whoever sets up the experiment does know about them. You see, so it's a, it's a hard thing to do, but it could be done to take the human's intent out of the equation for the reaction. And hopefully that kind of work has already been done, but if it has been, I don't know about the results. But in any case, 
plants, I think, have a certain amount of awareness, but I do not credit them yet with consciousness. Consciousness is a little different than just awareness. Okay, you can be aware, but not make choices. Aware just means that you receive data, but you don't necessarily make any choices about that data. Consciousness makes choices. Okay, that's a that would be a a difference there. Now, I just am saying that because nobody has yet convinced me that plants make purposeful choices. Now, I know plants do some very clever things, and they send signals around in their root structure and talk with fungi, and there's lots of clever things that plants seem to do. But before that is a conscious intent to do that, a conscious choice, you know, you have to show that it's not just hardwired. See, it's not just a uh, uh, like an algorithmic system. It's not a uh, in, what we in animals would call instinct, but it's actually a choice made by you know a conscious being. It's a conscious choice. They could have they could have said no or yes either way. Whereas hardwiring, given certain conditions, you get either a no or a yes, and you always get that same no or that same yes under those same conditions. You know, it's like an expert system. You can put an expert system in a computer and if you put exactly the same input in you'll get exactly the same output out because it's algorithmic it's not actually making choices and that's the same with plants so if plants do not make choices they just do what it is they do what the rule set compels them to do then that doesn't mean they don't have awareness it just means they don't make choices and that awareness can have some effect, I suspect, on their being, on their their avatar, on their plant. So that's what Baxter probably measured. If we can eliminate, if we can just kind of make an assumption that we can eliminate the the human's intent from the result, Uh, if we can just assume that that wasn't him that was having that reaction that made that lie detector move the way it did, then we can say that the plant has awareness. And it can, uh, that awareness then is, is hardwired to the conductivity of its leaves, which is what he was measuring with a lie detector. It was a, it was a uh, uh, measurement to conductivity between two points on the plant. And that uh, changed a little bit. So then the question goes that, uh, you know, is it, is it a bad idea to rip up plants and eat them? Well, the kind of plants that we eat tend to be plants that uh, don't have long lifespans anyway. They grow, they, you know, they bear fruit, and then, you know, the fruit drop off and rot, or the, uh, you know, the, the wheat stalk dies and just becomes a dead stalk. You have to plant it again the next year. It doesn't just uh, grow up by itself. They're not, uh, you know, they don't come up every year. So in, in a sense... I don't, you know, you might say that it would be good to uh, commune with that plant, thank them very much for their contribution, and uh, when you harvest them, you know, a man attitude may be important that you have toward the plant, rather than that's a plant, I'm a person, I can do whatever I damn well please with that plant, you know, and no caring. So as you harvest plants, there should be some sense of, of thanks, some sense of appreciation that that plant is there for you to harvest it. 
but I don't think that it's a that it's a cruel thing necessarily for the plant. I don't know that a plant is conscious. I think probably not. Hardwired is what I would think more than uh, making choices. But in its awareness, then it would be aware, and then it wouldn't be aware because it would now be uh, you know a, sh- a stalk of wheatgrass or something uh, lying in a basket. Now, how does that awareness connect? I don't know. Is it um, does it end there, or does the awareness go on? That's hard to say too. So now I think animals are a different sort of thing. And with animals, the nature of our rule set here is that things eat other things, right? The, the, the big animals that are carnivorous eat the smaller animals, mostly that aren't. And that's just how the big animal has to, what it has to do to survive. And a human is another animal. So if you as a human have to kill an animal to survive, then that isn't any different than any other animal killing an animal to survive. It's just the way it is. We are not just carnivorous, we're omnivorous, but that's part of our food supply, and that's okay. But now that's different than killing animals just because they're fun to eat. You have lots of things to eat. You're not hungry. You're, you, know, you, could, you could eat all kinds of other things, but Eating the animal is something that pleases you, so you kill them anyway. Now you're kind of getting into moral ground that is that is more like a, a swamp. That's not such a good idea, killing things for your own pleasure. You're killing things for your sustenance and to live. That's a natural part of our rule set. Killing things for fun, not so much, you see. Um, now we get to farming. What about raising things just so you can kill them? Well, that uh, seems like not uh, a very nice thing to do to sentient critters. The farmer would say, well, look, they, if they were in the wild, they'd have to find something to eat. Uh, other predators would kill them. I keep them nice and safe and happy, give them a place to sleep at night, uh, provide them with food during the winter, and you know, then harvest them later. It's a good trade. Well, I don't know that the animal would agree that it was a good trade. You know, that uh, probably not. But then there wouldn't be such things as cows. I don't think cow is a wild animal. I think cow is something that's been created by a careful breeding of other things. So there's lots of critters that uh, aren't adapted living in the wild. So they either live under the conditions in which they live, or they would all just die and go away. So that's you know um, that's kind of the way that is. So. I'm, I don't eat meat by choice because I find two things that, I, that isn't good about it. One, it's not morally acceptable to kill things because it pleases you, and it's not good health. It's not a healthy thing to do. Um, if you have more than what I have read from a, a study called the China Study, which was a very good uh, complete study over like 20 years of rural uh, Chinese. And they pick rural Chinese because they don't travel around much. They're kind of there for generations and generations. So what they eat is kind of a, a, a stable thing, whereas people that move around eat all sorts of things, and it's hard to tell what's doing what. So they did this uh, for over 20 years, I believe, in China, and they found out that if more than 20% of your daily intake I guess 20% of your calories, perhaps, comes from animal 
sources, your rate of getting cancers goes up to be about the same as that of people who smoke. So eating meat at least more than 20% of your daily intake is not such a healthy thing to do. So most people who eat meat, that's the main thing in every meal. You know, everything else is a side dish. <laughs> the, the meat is what's advertised on the menu, and the rest of the stuff is stuff they just add to it. So uh, most people eat much, much more than 20%, and uh, they eat a whole lot more protein than they need. I think we believe we need more protein because the meat industry convinced us of that in their advertising, you know, through many generations of telling us uh, more protein, more protein, you need more protein or you'll be sick. You can't, you know, you can't build muscle without the protein, but yet there are people who compete in Olympics who are vegan and they compete in sports that require speed and muscle and coordination. And the biggest, most muscle bound animals on the planet all are vegetarians you know, they, uh, you know, the, the elephants and the giraffes and the hippopotamus and, the, you know, the rhinoceros, you know, they have huge muscles to lift huge bodies and they get all of their, their, uh, food from plants, mostly from grass. So, uh, anyway, I'm, a, I'm, uh, I don't eat the, I don't eat the meat. Uh, I eat fruits and vegetables. Of course, vegetables and fruits are plants. But um, you know, we're all learning. Maybe one day we'll learn that, that the plants are actually conscious. They do make conscious decisions, but I don't think so yet. You know, when a sunflower turns its head to follow the sun, it does that because the sun heats up one side of its stalk hotter than the other side, and that side contracts. The other side isn't contracted, so it makes the sunflower follow the sun. It's not because the sunflower is making a conscious decision to keep looking at the sun. See, and I think that's the way it is with most of the very clever things that plants seem to do. It's kind of a hardwired algorithmic rule set function rather than a, oh no, they're going to burn my leaf. You know, that may not really be what's going on, but it might be. That may just be awareness. And in which case, then Clive Baxter got it right. Tom, there research, is one, sorry. Research oh. will tell. You need enough research to really tell exactly what Clive was seeing there and, and eliminate all other variables. And uh, I don't know if that's been done or not. There is that one well-documented case, and I think you've talked about it before, about that cactus that um, I believe it was that, that, that had it was it was showing signs of fear, and about a month later, six weeks later, the, 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 all the ground there was was decimated. It was all dug up by humans, and uh, it, there, there was some there was some report about this cactus knew what was going to happen to it. But yeah. again, like you say, you can't prove exactly, you know, what was going on there. Yeah. Now you know there's other things that can happen too. The larger consciousness system can. Uh, do all sorts of things. This is a virtual reality. And uh, it may uh, provide data like that that's to help people wake up and see that it's a bigger it's a it's a bigger reality than they thought and that other things, other living things also deserve our respect. You know, so it's hard it's really hard to say. It just takes a lot of research to determine you can't come to conclusions based on a couple of things happening. You know, it takes some real good systematic research to know what's what's happening and what's and what's not. So you have a lot of anecdotal things uh, that would seem 
important, but that doesn't make science. That just makes an interesting study <laughs> that needs more work. Right. I don't remember the cactus, so I don't think it was me that you're thinking of that okay. that uh, that said that. 